will, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It has been an incredible weekend so far with our Orphan Care Weekend. I love the turnout that we had for some sessions yesterday, getting an opportunity to share uh, some of the things that I've been studying for the past couple of years with um, people that are interested in how they can care for orphans and uh, the fatherless. And I'm excited that I get to preach today. It's always a privilege to get to open up God's Word and to look into His truth. And then uh, I'm also excited about what the students are going to do tonight, hanging out with Palmer Home, having a cookout, and uh, just enjoying some time, uh, fellowship together. Uh, that really was one of my favorite things of the time yesterday during the sessions was just the conversations that were taking place at the tables about different ways that people are looking to serve the Lord and to, uh, to serve the, the fatherless. Um, there are certain moments in your life that are unforgettable. Uh, you think about major accomplishments that you may have been able to achieve, uh, whether that's, you know, something on the sports field, you hit the game-winning home run, or you uh, scored the, the three uh, at the buzzer that wins the game, or maybe something more than that. Maybe it's walking across the stage and um, you getting that diploma that you've worked so hard for as you've, you know, spent that time reaching for that goal and you've finally accomplished it. Hopefully... You remember your wedding day. Um, husbands, you know, make sure you have that one down. You know, remember some of the details of it. Keep those things in mind. Hopefully they're good memories of your wedding day and continue to be so. Or maybe it's the, the birth of your child. Uh, getting to, to see them, getting to hold them, and, and understanding, you know, looking and seeing yourself in, in your child. For us, adoption is near and dear to our hearts, uh, for my wife and I, as we have had the privilege of adopting twice. Many of y'all have been part of that journey with us. And one of those days that is so memorable where you can, I mean, I can walk you through so many steps of what took place that day is when we got the first phone call for Naaman um, and got the opportunity to, to go. I can tell you where we were when she got the phone call and then had to call me, even though I was across the street, and tell me, hey, we are heading to New Orleans. And your whole world in that moment is flipped upside down. It's five o'clock on a Tuesday night, and all of a sudden, you're leaving everything behind and hitting the road and heading to Slidell, Louisiana. I don't even know if I'd heard of Slidell before then, to go to a random hotel, and you're standing there in the lobby, and you see the car pull up. It's just after midnight, and you know that inside that car is the social worker with your son. And apparently she saw my Ole Miss shirt, so she brought him in with a Mississippi State blanket on, and that's the one <laughs> negative from that entire memory that I have. But she brings him in, and... Shannon gets to hold him for the first time, and even though he had just had a bath, he still had dirt clotted in his hair, and you could tell, just, you know, and, and there was just this moment of getting to look at him and say, that is my son, and, and the realization of the privilege that it is to have adoption. Well, from Christian perspective, we, we, as Christians, we have a, a greater perspective of adoption because we understand that we are actually adopted into God's family. We get the, the privilege of, of being brought in 
not of anything of ourselves, but he comes and brings us into his family. And so while other people may adopt that are not believers, you, they, they can do that. They can do adoption. They can do foster care. They can care for the fatherless. But I want us to take a moment today and just lay down a biblical foundation, a theological foundation, and then from that, that be our why on why we care for the fatherless, on why we care for the orphan, on why we care for the vulnerable. And I think that if you listen to the beauty of being a part of God's family, then it will draw us near to our Heavenly Father in worship and in praise that we will have our hearts overflowing with joy because of the love that He's demonstrated towards us. And then we will take that and reflect His love to the people around us. My only request is that you obey what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. As Pastor Wade says, nothing more, nothing less, but that you will be obedient to whatever the Spirit is leading you to. So if you will, if you're able, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Just a beautiful passage of Scripture about our adoption as children of God. Starting in verse 12. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love and the grace that you pour out on our lives. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is already moving in this room right now, leading us in the way that we should go. Help us to, to follow after your leading, your calling on our lives, and reflect your glory. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So I want to start this morning really by looking at what it means. What are the privileges? What are the benefits? What is poured out in our lives when we are adopted as children of God? And there's really five points that I want to make here from this text about that. The first thing that we see as we are adopted into God's family is that we are set free. Christ has set us free from the burden and weight and the penalty of sin. We no longer are slaves to our sin. We can actually get out from underneath that yoke of slavery, that yoke of sin that is in our lives, and we can be free from that because we're no longer a slave, but we are a son. You look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it really ties in here with 12 through 17 because you have that so then in verse 12. But in verse 1, it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible truth. We were once under condemnation. We were once uh, unable to meet the requirements of the law. And in fact, as you look through Scripture, and we did this a little bit the last time I got to preach, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us that we are children of wrath and disobedience pre-Christ. 
In John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47, uh, Jesus there is interacting with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are saying, Abraham's our father. And he says, oh no, your father is of the devil. And you're trying to do the works of the devil. You see, as we look at this, we realize that that was the family that we were in. We were children of the world, children of the devil. We don't want to admit that, but that was our status. That was where we were standing. But here Christ has set us free. Sin no longer has dominion over our lives. We can choose to to abandon that sinful lifestyle. We can reject it. We can turn from it because we know that our standing is not as a slave to sin anymore, but our standing is as a son or daughter of the Most High King. You have been taken out of that that situation that you're in, that slavery, and set in a new location, a new family, a new standing with God. What an incredible truth that we have been set free. The second truth that we have here, I think, is a beautiful truth as well, but he has given us new siblings. New siblings. A lot of times when we read scripture, we're reading through it and we get the big points out of it, but sometimes there's little details, maybe one word that we, we miss as we read that scripture. Maybe it so, becomes so familiar to us, but look at verse 12. Verse 12 right there, it says this. It says, so then, brothers. That's a, that's a familial term, isn't it? That's a, that's a term of becoming a family. Even as we experience the baptisms today, what did they say? I baptize you my brother. I baptize you my sister. We have this eternal bond that has come together where we once were lonely and isolated. Now we have this bond that is going to last forever. What an incredible truth to think about brothers from all around the globe. I think about in Revelation how it talks about how people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are going to be gathered around the throne room of God. You have more in common with the person who's worshiping in a secret church in China than you do with relatives and with neighbors who don't know Christ. If you've ever been on a mission trip, it really is, like, that is one of the coolest things about going on a mission trip. You go to the Andaman Islands, and and you get to come in contact with other people who are believers, and it's just so much fun because you go there, and, and you have this bond in Christ, and all of a sudden, you're invited to some little kid's birthday party where they're bringing out the finest food for you because they just love that we are all one family. Or I think about how my brother in Peru, Rolando, I love Rolando. We went to Peru two years ago. I've gotten to spend one week with Rolando, right? But because of the bond that we have in Christ as brothers, he's sending me pictures of the church. He's sending me videos of baptisms in the Amazon River of how God is expanding our family of more brothers and sisters coming to know him. Christ is our older brother. He is the one who has paved the way for us. He is the one who has paid the price for us. Such an incredible truth that we are all siblings in Christ. That's what the church is, isn't it? Family. And when we understand the church as family, how we are family, even though we are not blood-related, 
And we can also understand adoption as family, even though we may not be blood-related. So we see there that he has set us free. We see that he has given us new siblings. We also see, and, and this is so important, he leads us through his spirit. He leads us through his spirit. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Think about this for just a moment. The omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and is leading you in the decisions that you are making on a daily basis, that you are able to trust in him, that you are able to seek his counsel, that you are able to, to seek after his leadership. We were directionalists before that. We were aimless, and we were living for ourselves and for the day. But now the Holy Spirit living within us has given us an eternal perspective of what we can do to, to make a difference for others and giving us a greater purpose than we've ever had before. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he is leading you, as he is guiding you. If there's a check in your spirit about something that, that is going on, then, then listen to that. Even if everything else seems right about it, then listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you. But if he's calling you to do something, then follow through with that. Trust him. Know that he is taking the steps ahead of you, leading you in the ways that you should go. So we see that he set us free, that he has given us new siblings, that he leads us through his spirit. But he also gives us a deeper intimacy with him. A deeper intimacy with him. Look at verse 15 as we continue to look through this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is such an intimacy in that term of Abba, Father. We, we know that, that we know what that looks like as we see it in our, with our earthly fathers and even when they fall short. But this is a truth that is so good for us as believers because you think about this, in the New Testament, God is called Father over 200 times. That's the way that he wants us to relate to him. That's the way that, that we get to come into his presence. We have a unique access with him. Yes, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Yes, he is in his throne room. But yet we don't have a gatekeeper keeping us from getting into his presence. We can come into his presence any hour, any day, any time. He's never sleeping. He's never unavailable. The, the call is always there. His presence is always there for us. We have that access to come into his presence any time that we want to. He's always calling us in, always giving us that opportunity. It is unlimited, and we can pray without ceasing. The privilege of prayer comes for us as believers, as children of God, that we can come with intimacy, not distant and separated from him. One more point. He makes us heirs with him. He makes us heirs with him. You see that there in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, such a, a it brings us eternal security and peace to know that nothing can pluck you from the hands of the Father. 
that nothing takes you out of his family. If you are adopted into his family, if you have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing that is going to separate you from him, not height, not depth, not anything. Because of the love the Father has for us, he has made us eternally secure. There's no curiosity or wondering or fear of what your standing is. Instead, God has made it to where you know that there is a future prize waiting for you. You are already his heir, but you're going to get to experience the full benefits of that one day for all eternity. In his presence, in the beauty of heaven, with the king of kings who owns it all and allows us to be part of it too. 1 Peter 1.4 says this. It says that that inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. uh, Moth and rust cannot destroy it, but it is a beautiful picture of what awaits us one day. So we see here, as we think about these privileges, these benefits of what the Father has done for us by adopting us into his family. He has set us free. He has given us new siblings. He leads us through his spirit. He gives us a deep intimacy with him, and then he makes us heirs with him as well. So even though we were burdened, lonely, desperate, and had a father who sought to destroy us, Christ has made a way and adopted us into his family. So think through those things. I hope that that brings worship into our hearts and into our lives as we think about what the Father has done for us. But we can't leave it there. We have to take this and and apply it to our lives as well. We can trust in those things, but we also want to reflect God's character to other people, don't we? We want to take these truths that are vertical and go and share them horizontally as well. And so what we do to reflect what God has done for us is we need to realize his character, who he is that we are reflecting. He loves the fatherless. He cares for the orphan. He cares for those who are in need. This is seen throughout Scripture over and over and over again. I'll give you just a glimpse of these very quickly. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says this, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. You see, those three words will come together every time, almost every time as you look through this. Fatherless, widow, sojourner. These are people who are vulnerable, and the most vulnerable in the world today is the fatherless, the orphans. Psalm 10, 14 says this, But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. This is God. To you the helpless commits himself. You, God, have been the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 68, 4 and 5 says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Hosea 14, 3 says this, Assyria shall not save us, we, shall, we, will ride, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. This is a glimpse of God's heart for the fatherless. There are countless others that as you read through, 
the Old Testament, as you read through the New Testament, you will see that he has a special desire for the fatherless to see justice and to be part of a family, to be taken care of. And so we want to reflect that. As Christians, we want to be the ones who are demonstrating that to the world around us. And so my challenge for you today is to obey what the Spirit is calling you to do. Obey what the Spirit is leading you to do. We talked about that in verse 14, how we are led by the Spirit of God, that we are sons of God. The Bible has made it clear. We are commanded to care for the orphan. We are commanded to care for the fatherless. Here's another set of verses for you so that you can hang on to this. This is not just me. This is what God has said. Deuteronomy 14, 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands that you do. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow." Over and over and over again. He's making provision for their need for food to provide for them. That's what God is doing. He's commanding them. This is the way that you're even to to take care of your fields and your orchards. To make sure that you're caring for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. Psalm 82.3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 1, 17 says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's calls. Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7, for if you truly amend your ways... In your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in his place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. You see, the way that they cared for the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner affected the way that God blessed them. Finally, the one that most of us know. James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, distress, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's more. Read the Bible and notice his heart for the fatherless and his command for us as his people to live that heart out right where we are. It's been commanded of us to do that, to, to, to serve those who are vulnerable. I think a lot of times we know that. I think a lot of times we know that, that that's God's heart. We get a glimpse of it from time to time. We think of him as our father. We may not think of all those details of it. We often think about how we should do things to, to help, but, but we don't really know what to do. 
Like we, we don't have a tangible way that we can really apply what we're talking about today. And so I want to make sure that we get that today. I want to make sure that we answer this question. How can we care for the orphans? Not everybody's called to adopt. Not everybody's called to do foster care. I understand that. I'm, I'm not pushing that at all. But we are all called to do something, aren't we? Because as you look at those commands that I gave you, the, the Old Testament commands, they, they're going for all of Israel. He doesn't say, okay, well, you don't have to worry about it. You're too old to worry about it. Or you don't have to worry about it. You're too young to worry about it. Or you know what? You're too poor to worry about it, so you can't worry about it. Or you're too rich, so you can't. Or you're married, so you, you have other things you have to worry about. Don't worry about this. You're, you're single. No, that's not you. No, the commands that are given, both Old Testament and New Testament, they're, they're blanket commands. There's no loopholes, are there? We're all called to this. This is something that God has given us to demonstrate his love for those people, for the vulnerable, for the fatherless. And every single one of us can do something. So what can we do? Your level of commitment may be very different. Your level of commitment may start at something that every single one of us can do, and that's pray. When was the last time you prayed for the fatherless? When was the last time you prayed for the 15.1 million orphans that have lost both parents around the world? When was the last time you prayed for those who are in the foster care system? All around us, where there's over 4,000 kids in Mississippi in the foster care system right now. Are we praying for, for those who are vulnerable and fatherless? Are we praying for those who are in the midst of it all? Praying for the social workers who are having to interact with, with birth families and praying for social workers who are interacting with foster families and, and praying for adoptive families that are waiting. I opened up telling you about Naaman and our two-year wait for him. That is hard because you're so ready for that child to come into your home and you feel led to do that. But yet two years can be such a long time knowing each day when you wake up that that day could completely transform your life. But then waiting for the next day, and then the next, and then the next. So are we praying for people who are waiting? Are we praying for those who are involved in it? Are we praying for those who are fatherless? I will tell you this, the more you pray about things, the more God's going to shape your heart the more he's going to open up and lead you in ways that you had never even thought of before, that you can reach out and care for those who are in need. So be in prayer. Be in prayer together as couples. Be in prayer in your own time with the Lord. But take the time to be intentional to pray. The second thing that I think that we can do is give. I think that we can give and help in so many different ways. It may be that it's a foster care placement that just got a, a, or a foster parent that just got a new placement. And maybe they don't have everything that they need. And so you know that that need is there and you're able to meet that need. You're able to come alongside them, support them in that. It may be that you um, see about Compassion International and you want to do a sponsorship on a month-by-month -month basis to take care of a kid in an orphanage in a small town that you've never heard of on the other side of the globe. 
But you want to give towards that and help that kid get an education, help that kid get, a, um, get the food that they need. And that kid's going to be a leader in that community one day. Going to grow up. And so you can give towards that. Or maybe you want to give to help towards that private adoption. We talked about this some yesterday, but a private adoption in the United States can be anywhere from twenty to forty thousand dollars to do an adoption. Twenty to forty thousand dollars just to do a private in-country adoption. Guys, it takes a church family to do that. Most people that feel called to adoption don't have that funding just laying around the house. But we as a church family can come alongside them and support them. And I'll tell you, we've seen that. We've been blessed by a church family that has given so that we can have the two boys in our home that we have. And so it it is such an encouragement. We can give to help people do what God is calling them to do. So everyone can do something. They can pray. They can give. And I think this one is one that we miss sometimes. We can volunteer our time and our skills. God has uniquely gifted us as a church to be able to care for the fatherless and the orphans. He has given every single one of us certain skills that that we're able to use to kind of plug in and and serve in different ways. It may be that you are called to serve in a way that, that is unconventional, but it is still orphan care. Maybe you're called to serve in a way that actually prevents families from dissolving so that there never is an orphan that we're talking about here. You're keeping the family together. Maybe you're coming alongside a a mother or a father and helping them walk through some difficult times. You're mentoring, you're tutoring, you're you're giving them the, the things that they need. Maybe it's babysitting for people so that they can go and, and get the, the kid that's adopting. Or, or maybe they're doing foster care and you've gotten um, certified so that you can help them when they need to, to do, need somebody to watch the kid then. Because there's certain things that they're put in place at that point. Maybe it's using your skills to do something special for the social workers. I read a story as I was looking through this about um, how the foster... Uh, the foster system, you have the birth parents, and there's times where they actually get to meet together with their kid. A lot of times it's supervised, and a church saw what the situation was at the room that they typically met in. And the room was just a dark room, gray walls, and it was just this really just, the the toys were broken, and it it was this really sad room that they just had to come into. They're reunited for this brief amount of time, and they just had this room where it just did not have anything to offer. But God started working in the hearts of these people that, were, that had seen this, and, and they used their skills to paint the room in this bright color, to provide them with the toys that they needed, or to, to do whatever it was that made this room a much more welcoming place. That's a blessing to the social workers. Think, think about as you're, as you're involving your time and your talents, all the people that you're going to come in contact with the people that that need to hear the gospel, people that may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that may not know how to be a part of his family. But as we're in the midst of this, volunteering, caring for people, we get the opportunity to speak why we're doing that, to speak into their lives. It may be something like helping new flooring get put in at the pregnancy care center. 
They have the flooring, but they need somebody to actually put it in for them. It may be that you need to mentor somebody who's about to age out of the system. 20,000 kids each year age out of the foster care system with no support around them. Think through that for just a second of what you look like as an 18-year-old and the support that many of us had, the things that we had already learned, how to balance a check statement or a bank statement, how to, to do, you know, put a resume together, how to, whatever it may be, but they may not have the knowledge of what is expected there. Or maybe it's respite care. Maybe it is giving those people who are doing foster care or people at the Palmer home just a chance to have a night out. If you're interested in looking for a way that you can volunteer to serve your time, your skills, your gifts, that God has uniquely gifted you, I can't tell you, I'm trying to list some of these things, but it may be something completely different for you. It may be medical, it may be accounting, it may be, I don't know. It may be something that you can build. But God has uniquely gifted you, and you can use those gifts to care for the fatherless. Out in the lobby, you have all kind of tables from tons of partners who would love to have you come and volunteer, to come and be a part of the ministry that they're already doing to care for the fatherless and the orphan. So, you can pray, you can give, you can volunteer, and last, you can foster or adopt. That's really jumping all in, and then that's a, a lifetime commitment in a lot of ways, uh, especially on the adoption front. Could be on the foster care. Uh, the goal's typically reuniting, but the, there is always a chance to adopt as well. But I've told you already, there's over 4,000 kids in the foster care system, just in the state of Mississippi. What if because of the desire of Christians around the state of Mississippi, that when a social worker has to go and get a kid out of a situation, that they're not wondering where that kid is going to stay that night because they don't have enough homes, but instead they're wondering which Christian home matches best with that kid, with his personality, with his situation, with his circumstances. Because there's so many of us that are passionate about caring for the fatherless that we will open up our homes. That we've mobilized. Think about how our community would be transformed as we minister to that kid and to those social workers and to those families and point them towards the gospel. You see, everyone can do something. The level of commitment is different, but yet we all are called to be engaged in this. We're all called to, to live this out with our lives. It, from the youngest to the oldest, we're not let out of this command. I firmly believe that everybody that is following after Christ wants to do what he's called us to do. I think, I think we want to we be led by the Spirit. We want to do what he's called us to do. But if we're honest with ourselves, we just really want it to be easy. We, we want it to be comfortable we don't want it to, to kind of break up what we already have going on. Life seems pretty good right now. We, you know, things are getting better, or maybe we just need to wait longer. But if God is calling us to do it, he is not calling us to be comfortable. He's calling us to take up our cross and to follow after him, whatever it takes. 
to trust in him, to, to follow after him. Even to the point in verse 17, as we look back at Romans for just a second, he says there, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, when you give your life to care for the fatherless, there will be times that it is difficult. That's just the truth. I've shared some of those about the weight or just the circumstances that you find yourself in. And there's times where there will be heartache. There's times where there will be pain. There's times where there will be suffering. Am I selling you on it yet? But it's worth it. If God is calling you to do it and he's commanding you to care, then you get in there and you do it. You get in there and you get involved. You get in the game. Seek to make a difference. I was listening to uh, an interview with Wes Stafford, uh, and I'll conclude with this. But Wes Stafford was the president of Compassion International for 20 years. And in this interview, he was telling about how um, his very first time to go into a refugee camp. And so he goes into a refugee camp, and you can just, you hear it. Like, in his voice, this, is, this wasn't a visual uh, interview, but you could hear it in his voice, the tears that he was crying as he talked about going into this refugee camp and actually seeing a child die from malnutrition for the very first time. Had never experienced anything like that before, but here he is in that situation. And that moment really led him on the journey that took him to become president of Compassion International and serving in that capacity for 20 years. And and he was talking about how he has shed many tears over the years as he has sought to make a difference in the life of orphans. As I said, he's, he's crying about this, but... As he finishes his story, he says, you know, I just want to be faithful to serve until heaven interrupts. And that's my prayer. But he goes on to say, and then when Jesus wipes away the tear from my eyes, the tears from my eyes, I pray that he also wipes away the sweat from my brow. Because he had been faithful to serve to the end. If I'm honest with you, I'm not there yet. I haven't cried enough tears and haven't worked enough sweat on my brow. But that is my prayer. That I will serve the Lord faithfully, caring for the ones that he cares for, the fatherless and the orphan, until heaven interrupts. So how are you going to respond today? You need to actually trust in Christ and become a part of God's family for the very first time. To to actually know him as your heavenly father. That you are churning from your sin. Churning away from from the, the choices that you have been making. And churning instead to God who loves you. Who has an inheritance set aside for you. Who wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of you. And join this family of believers as brothers and sisters in Christ. If that is you, then I pray that you will do that today, that that will be your response. If you are already a follower of Christ, if you're already part of his family, I pray that today will just cause you to worship, to praise him, to think about the privilege that it is to be called a child of the Most High King. Because it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
the apex of our salvation. Beautiful picture of the gospel. But my other question for you is how are you going to respond to God's command to care for the fatherless? Are you going to follow what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do right here, right now? Whatever that may be, from the smallest commitment of continuing to pray, and that, that's not small and that is not, it has a huge capacity, don't get me wrong. Or is God calling you to foster and adopt? To be engaged in caring for the fatherless, reflecting God's heart for them in your life, in the way that you live this all out. Respond as God is leading you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, what an incredible privilege it is to be in your house among brothers and sisters who know you, who love you, and Father, also to be able to hear of how good you are to us, our Heavenly Father, perfect love. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is already moving in our hearts, Lord, that if there's somebody here who does not know you, that that will be changed today. Lord, if there's somebody here who's feeling led to join us here at Longview Point and be part of the mission that you have for us, Lord, that they will do that today. Father, I pray that all of us will have a burden and a heart for those that you have that heart for that we will live sacrificially, giving of our lives, giving of, our, uh, of whatever it may be, our skills, our talents, our time, to follow after you and care for the fatherless. Give us a vision, give us a heart, and let our yes be on the table, for you are worthy. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.